This podcast is part of the Robots Radio Rocket Club, a program designed to help all podcasts reach their full potential. For information about joining the Robots Radio Rocket Club, check out robotsradio.net. Welcome back to another episode of Two Girls, One Ship, the podcast where we analyze, rate, and review all that the world of video game romances has to offer. I'm Genesis, the girl who is on her fourth Baldur's Gate 3 run as a half-orc paladin who unfortunately couldn't pick a deity, so decided to romance Will instead of Shadowheart this run. That should be interesting. (laughs) And I'm Vervada, the girl who's on her second Baldur's Gate run as a drow, a Seldrin drow, rogue, dark urge. And I just before this saved right before fighting the Adamantine Forge grim fight. I didn't do it in my first playthrough. I totally missed it. So it'll be my first time killing that construct. Fun, fun. All right. Now, if you are new here... Welcome to the beautiful chaos, but you should know that our podcast centers on character and romance analysis and doesn't shy away from exploring the fun of fucking. Or from the deep emotional connections built between two or more characters using specific in-game dialogue. So if you want to stay spoiler free, please, this is not the podcast for you. So here's your fucking spoiler alert. Thanks for the spoiler alert, N7. I needed it for myself this week. And seriously, stay away from this episode if you are still in Act 1 of the game. This character has some pretty big development in Act 3. So with that being said, just like with all of our previous episodes, we'll assume that you have some background knowledge of the game and character in question. But we will be providing context for those of you who may be unfamiliar. Also. Just as a general heads up, because my audio clipping brain hates it, dice rolls are a thing. I can't avoid all of the roll sounds and or remove the sounds of passing a speech check. So they're there. Sorry. Yeah, it's, it's a game full of a lot of sound effects. So if you haven't guessed, today we're still in Faerun. And we're going to be here for a while, thank the gods. Today's subject is someone Jen has described as the hottest character in any game ever. That's subjective. But let me tell you something personal. You grew up in an increasingly well-to-do home as your father rose through the nobility of Baldur's Gate, attending fancy parties and learning about the political machinations of the upper class from an early age. But one day you were faced with a choice, and you kind of chose wrong, according to your father. You've wandered the wild since, trying to earn both his approval and the mantle of the hero. You're not welcome in Baldur's Gate, but you've found a new home amongst the wilderness of the Sword Coast. You are Will Ravengard, the Blade of Frontiers from Baldur's Gate 3. Damnable Roach! Provoke the blade! And suffer its sting. 
damn, like that just got me like right out the gate. I was like, hmm, hello. Yeah, that never played in my first playthrough either. So my second playthrough, I didn't expect it at all. And I was like, damn, Will, what? Where was this the last time? Like, that was awesome. (laughs) I had to leave the sound effects in there. His Eldritch Blast right out the gate. And then the stabbing and the squelching. Mm. Perfection. So good. Will Ravenguard is the son of Grand Duke Older Ravenguard. That's U-L-D-E-R. I always hear Older Ravenguard. <laughs> so I'm like, are they making fun of him because he's dad? He's older. But it's Older now, the city of Baldergate, which is known as the City of Blood and the most prosperous of any city on the Sword Coast. His mother died while giving birth to him, but he still had a happy enough childhood being raised by his father. His father, Older, comes from a working class background, and he instilled many of his rigid principles into Will, including a strong sense of duty to Baldur's Gate. And every Baldurian. Baldur's Gate is one of the most inclusive metropolises in Faerun. But sometimes that leads to pesky cultists popping up with some grand plan of destruction now and again. See previous Baldur's Gate games for reference. Or just ask Will. When he was 17, he encountered some Tiamat cultists just outside the city, trying to summon the evil queen mother of all the bad dragons to the plane. Will, being close enough to adulthood to feel like he could do something, but also still a child, so not skilled enough to actually fight all these cultists off by himself, felt very desperate. His intense desperation was a siren song to Mizora, a Cambian, who offered him a delicious devil pact. Her powers, in exchange for his servitude, sound simple, right? Nothing's ever simple when it comes to devil packs. And while Will was able to defeat the cultist with Mizora's power, he found himself unable to actually explain what had happened to his dad. Older saw his baby boy cozying up to a devil and obviously demanded an explanation, but he literally couldn't say because devil packed. So his father banned him from the city and exiled him to the frontiers. As a parent is also my first reaction to literally abandon my child the first time I see them doing something I would have imagined impossible. Yep. First reaction. Yeah, set, kick the kid out of the city that he's lived in his entire life and disown them. Hashtag sarcasm. Now, it's worth mentioning that Will's entire backstory seems to have been rewritten since early access. He had one at one point been a failed flaming fist initiate, and that was where he lost his eye. But now it's some low-level goblin you can meet in the goblin camp in Act 1. But in the final release version of the game, Will was banished from the city by his father for the Devil Pact. It is during the subsequent years that Will allegedly earns the moniker of the Blade of Frontiers, which tracks with his folk hero background. 
It's also joked about in the party that Will's amazing feats are rather exaggerated, given he isn't all that powerful when you look at his stats. But apparently the brain worm subdues his warlock powers? Gale says the same thing, that the worm has locked away all the spells he had studied before. So we will take their words on it, but Will does attempt to fit nicely in the swashbuckling hero trope. He's a free-spirited do-gooder who selflessly defends the downtrodden, fights with a rapier, which warlocks don't normally use, and loves some dramatic showmanship during a fight. My father once said, One does not pursue a champion's life. One merely answers its call. So it was for me. I was hunting near the cloakwood when I heard it. A child crying out from a lone farmstead. I found him in the fields flanked by goblins. His mother's corpse bled into the soil next to him. I don't remember much of the battle, but I remember drying the boy's tears after. Ah, Will, I really want to take him at his word, but like he makes it so hard to trust him at first. Here's why. I don't really think you have the authority to decide if you're a champion or a hero or not. But others do. Like, you can choose to act out of the goodness of your heart, but, like, Will loves to add vivid details. Like, oh, I don't remember the battle, but I remember drying the boy's tears after. Like, all this emotional pull that suggests to me he wants to be seen as lawful good. He wants to be the hero so, so badly. Like, he speaks about himself the way someone would write about a hero, if that makes sense. And of course he does. Of course he wants to be the hero. He wants attention because he never got it from his dad. He did not get enough hugs as a kid. I mean, even Baldurian player characters like my first playthroughs, High Elf Bard, they don't know that older Ravenguard has a son, even though they've lived there their whole life. And he was banished as a 17-year-old. So, like, you're telling me he wasn't even known before his great mistake of making a devil pact? That's so weird. Like, why did he keep his kid on lockdown? So Will's bravado, his attention-seeking and risky behavior, his desire for power, framed by his rigid good morals, instilled by his dad, are all a result of not getting enough hugs as a child. Hug, baby boy. You will first meet Will right outside the Emerald Grove, as we played earlier. He will join with you on an epic entrance befitting his image and help you fight the goblins. Unless, of course, you played this in early access, and he jumped too far off the rocks and knocked himself out. Mmm, good times. Now you'll learn that Will is on the hunt for Carlac, and it was during this pursuit in Avernus that he was taken aboard the Nautiloid and doused with his very own Wrigley sidekick. He apparently awoke from the days of the Nautiloid crash, and his spidey senses tingled leading him to the plight of the tiefling refugees at the grove. You could find him instructing the tiefling children on some basic sword skills, just in case they need to timidly hack at some goblins sooner rather than later. You'll quickly learn that Will has the best motives and intentions of any of the party members. He'll always do something. But it's not always clear on if that something was worth doing. 
or not. And that's how I personally look at his devil pact. It wasn't worth doing. Will's tragic flaw, which quickly could become a fatal flaw, depending on your playthrough, is his self-sacrificing nature. This is a positive trait that turns out very badly if used in excess, as in Will's case. His distant and cold father didn't help his sense of importance either. Will had the unique misfortune of being born into an incredibly privileged life and yet was not granted any personal privileges. In other words, he had positional power but no way of using it. How could he help people living in his father's shadow and never being good enough to step out of it? That night with the Tiamat cultists, he believed he was the only one who could stop them, yet he didn't have the power to stop them. This inflated belief in his own importance is a direct result of his station. He was never the only one who could do something. I mean, the flaming fists exist, right? It's just not in Will's nature to not try to do something. So when he thought he was the only one, he thought it was the worthy bargain to gain Mizora's power for the paltry sum of his soul. Will is definitely a good aligned character. And as such, he likes acts of heroism, kind acts towards children, and peaceful resolutions. Will also approves of you asking personal questions and taking an interest in him and his struggles. He doesn't approve of villainous or evil acts, wanton acts of violence, or any kind of rapport with Mizora. Speaking of Mizora, why was Will asked to hunt down Karlak? Karlak, if you don't know, was forced to fight for Zariel in the Blood War. She was trying to escape, and Will was told to hunt a rampaging devil at Mizora's request. According to Will's contract, Clause G, Section 9, targets shall be limited to the infernal, the demonic, the heartless, and the soulless. Carlac is a fucking big loophole, considering she has an infernal engine for a heart, thanks to Zariel mutilating her against her will. When you do find Carlac with Will in your party or if you didn't find Karlak before finding Will, that is, you can convince him that Karlak is not the rampaging devil he was led to believe she was just to justify killing her. This clip is long, but it's necessary to understand the mess between these two. I can explain, but it's a whole situation. If you just hear me out... Another vision. Karlak's blade raised, slicing through devils, Zariel's servants, as her eyes dart around, seeking escape. Her rage and desperation seep into you. She is a victim of the Blood War, not an agent of it. She's trying to trick us. Don't believe her lies. You saw the truth. I never wanted to serve Zariel. I was enlisted in her army against my will. Forced to fight, and fight I did. When I saw an opportunity to get away, I took it. Finally home. Or near it anyway. You served her. That's enough to damn you. Will catches his breath and his lips straighten. Sheer dread twists his face. You don't know what you're saying. You're asking me to trust a devil. 
You know monsters, right? Better than anyone. Look into my eyes. Can't you see I'm not what you think? Shit. You really are no devil, are you? I've... I've been deceived. Oh, thank the gods. Thought I was gonna have to take your head. <laughs> you would have died in the attempt. But there have been enough threats today. Truce then, eh? Aye. Truce. It's always nice to hear Kyrlak's voice. <laughs> Even if you weren't expecting it. Especially if you weren't expecting it. Anyway, it takes a bit more convincing than you might expect to talk a good aligned character out of committing murder, right? This whole thing is unfortunate. Will believes he was lied to at first. Like, this whole situation is just some great misunderstanding. He made sure to specify when he made his pact that he would only kill the infernal, the demonic, the heartless, and the soulless. Unfortunately for characters and people who are this genuine and good, you don't foresee someone playing you badly, taking you for a fool. It isn't really being a fool, just naive. That's something some good old-fashioned trauma can rectify. <laughs> Never trust anyone. Will thought he could somehow take a power from an evil source and use it to do good, like it would just cancel out. Literally, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. The road to Avernus is a lot more direct and the consequences much more dire. I personally have no intention of spending eternity as a sentient blob of meat, burning forever at Zariel's barbecue. Luckily for Will, the consequences for not killing Karlak are not quite so gastronomical. So, on the next long rest, an in-game mechanic, Mizora will quickly pop up from the hells to literally change Will's life forever again. He tries to reason with her, insisting that Karlak is a tiefling and not a devil. But, of course, that pesky loophole. So, she punishes him. According to the narrator, Will has to Burn for this in all the fires of Avernus, while the lightning storms of Dis strike his skin, his soul passing through every layer of the hells to gain its essence and torments. Some masochists out there would enjoy that, but not well. He emerges from his puddle of doom in the campground, with a new pair of horns, and a devilish remaining eye, and a forked tongue. Hmm. What'd that mouth do, Will? Oh. Oh, it just complains. Gods damn her straight back to the hells. Just look at me. I did what was right, and Mazora made me pay for it. I'd be hunting devils and demons, she said. Traitors and hypocrites, heartless evils of all sorts, but not... Not Zariel's victims. Not innocent tieflings. Warlock pacts tend to be unforgiving from what you know of them. Will was lucky he didn't face a more severe punishment. Will's story overall, but especially this moment, is so interesting in its extremes. We have so many stories of heroes making the ultimate sacrifice or just some great sacrifice for the good of the many, but that's usually the end of the story. We don't often have a story where that sacrifice happened off camera, and now we only see the consequences of living with whatever choice was made. 
and Will's consequences can change greatly. I inherently don't trust people who never knew Will could get horns, for instance. I'm pretending that killing Carlac isn't a thing that can happen because for the sake of Will's character growth, it can't happen. She needs to live. We talk about the character arcs, people. Killing Carlac with Will isn't a character arc, it's just a blink of an eye. This is how he changes. Turning into a devil was a punishment for him because his sense of self has always been intrinsically rooted in what he looks like to the outside world. A hero. A nobleman of good standing. The devil exterior is a truth of the man who made a pact, but is only shown when that man proves to be an actual hero for once. Will's personal quest is called The Blade of Frontiers. Go fig. And it spans all three acts of the game. Throughout it, Will deals with what it truly means to be a hero, while he struggles to embody the ideals taught by his dickweed father. We can discover that his dad was kidnapped by absolute cultists from Joaquin's Rest in Act 1, but we won't actually get the chance to rescue his dad until Act 3. One more quick note for Act 1 and Will's recruitment. If you side with the goblins, Will will abandon the party if you recruited him. And if you didn't, he will be found amongst the corpses after the battle in the grove. So, side with the tieflings. It's also worth noting that you can romance Will whether Carlac is alive or not. But you cannot romance Will if his dad dies under any circumstance. Duke's soul was traded for Will's in my first playthrough because fuck him. Will deserves a break. Speaking of breaks, we need to take one. So limber up, everybody. We'll be dancing soon. But first, we need to hear some fun facts, listen to sponsors of the show, and thank our lovely, lovely patrons. Not devils. Patrons. Mid-break dance. We are totally dancing with Will into the mid-break. Oh, so fun. So fun. Will's voice actor is now Theo Solomon, who has a fantastic voice, by the way. Gorgeous, gorgeous. Mm, edible. And it's perfect for the hero knight style of a character that Will is. In early access, though... Will was voiced by Lan Ray Malalu, who I haven't actually heard, so I don't know what their voice sounds like. Um, I don't know. I, I, in order to, okay, this little back room secret revealing, if there's a person that we need to mention whose name I don't know how to pronounce, I always find an interview where they introduce themselves so I know how they say their name because I want to get everyone's name right. It's very important to me. Um, so I watched a lot of interviews trying to get this man to say his name, Lanray Malalu, and uh, I finally found one. He's also a choreographer um, and does really cool artistic stuff, and he's been in a lot of things. So his voice is great. I love who they cast as Will for final release, too. I really don't know why they changed it, but Will went through a lot of changes from early access to final release. But yeah, both great actors. And Lanray's also an actual dancer, so <laughs> fitting. 
Okay, so a next fact that is it's kind of interesting. Um, so one of Will's tropes is something called the Cassandra Truth, which is named after the classic Greek mythology of Cassandra the Seer. If you don't know her story, she was granted the gift of being a seer by Apollo, but she didn't have sex with him in payment of this so-called gift. So Apollo cursed her. Some of the stories say she promised sex and withheld it. Others say she simply denied it when he requested. Whichever the story is, he wanted sex. She didn't give it to him. And that meant that she's a bitch who needs a curse. Right? Sarcasm. So his curse was all her prophecies would be true, but no one would believe her when she tried to tell him. This mainly comes into play with Will and his father not believing him about the devil pact and saving the city. At first, eventually, you can convince his dad that Will is worthy of respect, which takes far too much effort to do, so fuck him again. But I did like this trope, because I thought Will and Cassandra from Dragon Age Inquisition would be well-suited to one another, given they both want the classic romance, happily ever after, mushy stuff. Also, we are generally fans of Apollo on this podcast, but not in this moment. (laughs) Yes. Will's charisma score is among the highest in the party at 17, but he has a terrible time flirting. It's quite funny, actually. He's got no riz. It's hilarious. The lack of riz, honestly, is just like riz on its own, though. Um, Also, like doing research, I saw someone say that Will is Karth Onassicore, and I thought that was so funny. So I had to include it as a fun fact, even though it's not really a fact. It's just they're similar characters due to their tropes. Will's a lot more like he's easier to get along with, though, because Karth is really bitter about his past traumas, whereas Will is just emo and sad about it. Yeah. Agreed. Spotify listeners, thank you so much. We are at 177 ratings. Let's keep that number ticking up. Or go hit us up on iTunes. We could definitely use some more ratings on there. And reviews as well. We haven't gotten a good review in a little minute here. I want to read some more things out in the mid-break. Right. And of course, we thank our lovely not-devil patrons, although some of you are quite devilish. Huge shout-out and major love to Toasty and Apollo, not the deity, Becky and Daddy Batnight. Stoned Mystheos and Muffiny Cake, Mackenzie and Wynn. Big hearts, major loves, all the thank yous. Thank you so much as usual. Okay, Jen. Are you ready to dance with Will, but like with enough room for the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in between? Like, yeah. He can really dance. <laughs> that was playing in my head so much. We're like, wow, he can really, really dance. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this scene is really sweet. It's a formal dance. Hands touching in the center and very, very ballroom gathering soiree style. But at the end, you finish the dance both of you on your knees, face to face, and you share a kiss. It's not and passionate or Lazelle-level chaste. It's somewhere in between. But 
I prefer a little more hand movement. When kissing a lover, I want to be touching them, not hanging my arms to the side of me. A little bit lacking on the fun dance style and then the I'm going to keep my hands to myself. But let's go in for a second kiss now that we are standing back up. <sighs> I've drunk wines from Daggerford to Cormier, but I've never known a taste as rich as yours. Gods damn it. You almost make me forget myself. But I still keep faith in the old tales of love. The once upon a times and the happily ever afters. I like to do this the proper way. The way of the old romances sung by the bards. Till next time. Good night. And dream sweetly. Okay, so I like that you can choose to let Will kiss you. Or you can choose to be the initiator of the kiss in this dialogue scene. I like that you get that choice. It's usually one or the other. The Pride and Prejudice dancing, where palms touch and you give each other the chaste blue steel stare, is all well and good. But for me, it's like what Asarian says. Quote, Will's the sort of prince type I would have once dreamed of marrying when I was 13. <laughs> That's exactly how I feel. He's really showing his nobility here, and I think it's refreshing. I like that he admits he's almost tempted to stop being proper. But while his romance is not for me, it is for someone. It's very important to have a wide variety of relationship types represented, so there's a little something for everyone. This scene with the dance takes place in Act 2, and after this scene, you are considered together. I would say that this is the romance lock-in scene, but honestly, in this game, you only get locked out of some choices, but never locked into any. Because there's always an out. You can always mm -hmm. say, I'm sorry, I'm done. Will is still very much locked in with Missouri, however. As binding as a devil pact is, there is always a way to get out of a deal with the devil. Missouri will turn up randomly in camp one long rest and... Will tell Will his next mission is to rescue a devil that was kidnapped and taken to Moonrise Towers. If you pass an insight check, you can see that she is desperate for Will to succeed. And that is because, spoiler alert, she is the devil that was kidnapped. What an idiot. So... After the first half of the fight with Kethrick Thorm at the top of the tower, you can find Missouri in her all her captured glory in the tadpooling center. Which, by the way, Dirge also needs to check out this room, even if you aren't on a mission to save Mizzy. Juicy lore bits here. Missouri is, however, a lucky bitch because she is free from a tadpole. But Will is not yet free of her. But even though it's an option, don't kill her here. You'll kill Will too. And we don't want that. At least not in this playthrough. Instead, you can bargain with Mizora to let Will out of his pact if they rescue her. She will agree, but with the caveat that the pact expires six months from now. 
So dumb. It's like when a bank tells you you'll get your refund in seven to ten business days, but really it should be like right now because most money is just a number in an account, right? Okay, keep your secrets. At least Will has a way out now. Anyway, you get to watch his dad get tadpoled soon after this and carted off to Baldur's Gate with Gortash and Orin, not long after rescuing Mizora, which, that's complicated for Will to process. Like we said earlier, we don't get the opportunity to rescue Daddy Duke until Act 3. While we travel to Baldur's Gate, why don't we ask Will what we are to him, in his opinion? Ah, (laughs) how to answer a question with so many layers as that? You are the red of the sunrise, the yellow of high noon, and the orange of sundown. If you were a song, I'd never stop singing. If you were a psalm, I'd never stop praying. You make a damn fun dance partner, too. So cute. What follows this clip is the most chaste kiss in all the realms. His attempt at poetry is cute, though. Flattery always wins with me. That little giggle, too. Damn it. Why am I the gushy one this week? I love how they... It is cute. And I'm oh, love- cute. Oh, me? I'm cute? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Occasionally, I have a soft spot. I love how this fits so nicely with the Carlac romance, too. Now, if you play as Carlac, because that's totally an option, he is literally describing her in color. It's amazing. But also, the foils falling in love is always such delicious tension. So yes, Carlac and Will are foils for very obvious reasons. Carlac comes from a working class background in Baldur's Gate, being talented and skilled from her hard work ethic, and was forcibly thrown down to the hells to be a slave for Zariel. Fuck you, Gortash. Will comes from a noble background in Baldur's Gate, and by all accounts was decidedly less than average in all of his pursuits, until he was given Mizora's power from the Pact. Speaking of the Pact, his dalliance with the devil was all his own choice rather than being essentially kidnapped. Karlik is also forced to undergo a stark physical change to benefit her devil patron, whereas Will undergoes a physical change as a punishment for defying his devil patron. Carlac's physical change is done to make her better at what she is already good at, killing devils. And Will's physical change makes it harder for him to do what he is good at, being the good guy. You get the picture. I love a good foil. Also, Will even has a dialogue about how devils are no fun at parties because their claws will pop the balloons and he can't taste the sweet cakes with his forked tongue. That's how we know he has a forked tongue. But also, he's talking about pastries, you nasties. Anyway, we finally get out of the literally cursed second act setting and into Baldur's Gate proper, the city that is. When we make our way through the circus and the refugees, we finally get to Worms Rock Fortress and... Who should be waiting there? None other than Mizora. Because we saved her. So she acts bitchy. And then she says she's ready to break Will's pact. 
apparently it's been six months. I mean, I don't think it has. Who knows with her? And then she'll meet us back at our camp. Yay. She's just like there now forever. So long rest it is. And she presents us with a choice because of course she will tell us where Will's daddy is being kept only if Will chooses between staying enslaved to her forever or she could just not say anything about where his dad is and doom him, quote unquote. But don't even think for a second that her information is essential to finding the Duke because it isn't useless. Yeah, you can still romance him if he binds his soul to Missouri forever, but not if Duke Ravenguard dies. However, it is possible to save him without getting the info in his whereabouts from Missouri. Either way, Mazora will stay in camp as a camp follower and as an ally against the Absolute for the endgame. So then you get to break Will's dad out of the underwater prison. But if Will promised his dad in exchange for himself, Mazora will show up and try to kill the Duke to ensure the deal goes through. You can save him still. And Missouri will not punish Will for outsmarting her for once. I saved him by accident in my first playthrough. Like, I promised his soul instead of Will's, and then I accidentally made it so that he didn't have to die. Anyway, once again, no matter what you do, keep Duke Ravengard alive if you want happily ever after in any way with Will. If his dad dies, he'll give you one last dance, and then tell you that he's too sad to be with you. Alexa, play Blink-182's I Miss You. <laughs> Cue Will's emo era. If his dad survives throughout Act 3, though, this is Will's final romance scene with you in the main game, and it's pretty cute. My mother always said the wild and oaks acorns held just a touch of wishing magic. If that be so, then may my greatest wish come true tonight. I love you. Will you be mine today and tomorrow and reaching into eternity? Your skin flushes and your soul sings as you palm the acorn. Wishing magic, affection, love. Whatever the cause, it's as real as the ground beneath you. Get down here already. It's time we started our happily ever after. You guys, I get to get married at the end of this playthrough? Oh. I'm so excited to have this all play out to the end now. Aww. Okay, so this scene starts out holding hands. Guys, I am never this gushy lovey-dovey, but I'm over here swooning. What the fuck is wrong with me? You get a walk in the moonlit forest to a special spot. One that will forever be in my heart. Will, oh sweet Will, you are down on bended knee, and this is top tier in-game proposal. We've only talked about one other proposal so far, and that was with Cullen. Will at least got to see his plan to fruition and do it the proper way of the bard like he wanted. After saying yes, 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 he asks you to join him forever. And we get to see the payoff of seeing how the Blade of Frontiers can truly wield his sword. <sighs> oh, oh, okay. I was not expecting that. He turns up the heat for 
damn sure. Grabbing you by the waist and gently taking you the rest of the way down to the ground. Kissing the ever-living hells out of you while moving you into a much better position. Wait, there's a better idea. Tav decides that they want to be on top. But that is not what Will had planned. He rolls you over again, and after what appears to me as a clear hip thrust, the camera pans back to the tree. So here's my question. I I read something that said you can have sex with him if you pass a perception check or or roll or... Or not perception, sorry, persuasion role or something. Is that true? Like, I never saw a sex scene other than what you've described. Like, but nothing like the other characters where you know they had sex. Hmm. I don't, I haven't played it through yet, so I don't know. Um, I can definitely. It's It's hard with how many changes they've done, you know? Like, maybe mm-hmm. they will add something. It will add something. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But uh, so I'm not sure if he qualifies as a chaste romance. Is all is what I was getting at. I think maybe he could, depending on your dialogue choices, he could qualify as a chaste romance because you only do like kisses and whatnot. And yeah, that. I mean, if people consider soulless chaste, then I think you should extend it to Will too because they just kiss. Also, right? No, I agree with that. Um, I think that this will be something that I can definitely report on and probably by the end of our like end of our Baldur's Gate 3 series I should have yeah. an answer on how the full romance plays out. Message we'll us if you know. Can you use a persuasion check to sleep with Will before you before the proposal? Yeah, my only thought on that was if the persuasion check thing was real, I kind of don't like that. It feels like you're pressuring him. Mm-hmm. If that's true. I, I didn't see it, though, so I don't know. Um, anyway, there's a couple ways Will's story can end in this game. First, because his dad survived, we can go to answer the dragon. We can go ask him to come to Baldur's Gate's aid in the coming battle. But um, answer's a pile of bones. So, yay. And then we find out the Emperor's pre-illithid identity in the process of, of that. So, yay for that, too. Um, we'll get into that in the Emperor's episode. If you don't know yet, don't listen to that episode when it comes out. And play the game. So, while answer is not the answer, Daddy Duke realizes, Hey, you defeated his corpse. Clearly, you're more powerful, Will. So, you should be... What does he call answer? Like, the keep... The, I don't know, the defender of Baldur's Gate or something. So, he's like, you can do it now. So Will finally gets the fatherly attention he so desperately desired this whole time. It feels really hollow to me, though. I mean, he should really just stop trying to get his dad's attention. Or uh, respect, because it's just, it's just bad. Anyway, Duke Ravenguard will then offer him an opportunity. Become a Duke of the city. If this is the path he chooses, he will oversee the reconstruction of the city after the final battle and work with his dad to make the city a place of peace and safety again. They will open the gates, offer shelter to all refugees, the Council of Four is reformed, and if Mizora is still in Will's life, as his patron, she will take on a human disguise and enjoy all the intrigue of court life. You, as his lover, remain by his side, 
And perhaps you've even adopted a daughter together named Lily Aurora Ravengard. Oh, Isn't that cute? Now I get to have a kid? Oh, yeah. This is, <laughs> is going to be great. It's Colin Rutherford all over again. Will can also choose to stay wild and dedicate his time to wandering around, performing good deeds. Although this time he calls himself the Blade of Avernus. He will go off and hunt devils in the hells, and you can hunt them by his side as his lover. And Karlak as an awkward third wheel, if she was able to go back while Damon works on fixing her engine. Will can also go to the hells by himself but stay committed in a long-distance relationship with the player. He will also stay with you should you become illithid, which not all romance companions do. If Will is the Blade of Avernus and is still bound to Mizora, he will mention that she has just been sending him after demons and devils as per their original pact. She's holding a loose grip on the leash. If the pact was broken, Will is working with the Diabolist to use his stone eye, which is actually a sending stone, to track Missouri and try and kill her. That sounds really epic. I like that ending. Kill her, even though she's hot. We should also mention that Carlac and Will will enter a relationship if they both survived, are not romanced, and went to Avernus together. I think that's so cute. I really love to see NPCs getting together because it brings more life to them. I think Will also has the most attempts at romancing the camp out of anyone else. So he first tries to get with Lazel, Then he shoots his shot with Shadowheart, sometimes immediately after losing out on Lazel, And then only then will he try to waltz his way to your heart. High charisma score where? I just thought that was so funny. So, Jen, what are your final thoughts on Will the Romance? I can guess that you like him. I do. One, I mean, I started, like, I, as you said before, to me, he is one of the most physically attractive video game characters I have come across. And so that immediately I was like, ooh, okay, I'm interested. Let's see where this goes. And then... He's a little too paladin. He's a little too good guy. He's a little, I need somebody with more edge. Even though he's bound to a fucking devil, he's still too good and too polished. But I don't know what's come over me. I think it's because I'm I'm currently going through this romance right now that it's just like hitting me with like a, maybe I've been spending too much time with the bull and all of the crazy insanities and all of that stuff that, you know, this is just a good, nice, wholesome, happy, fun love. He's literally a palate cleanser for you. Yes, it's exactly what it is. I've been stuck in the filth for far too long. He's the little slices of ginger at a sushi restaurant. Which I actually don't like those either. I fucking hate the ginger. Oh, I love ginger. My mom's a psycho. <laughs> She'll chew them. <laughs> oh my gosh, that actually takes a double meaning. Yeah, that's why you're laughing. My husband's a ginger. Oh, no, no, no. I, so no. <laughs> I wasn't even, I didn't even go that ginger. I was just like, oh my God, another thing that we're completely fucking opposite on. You're like, oh, I, I thought ginger. you were laughing because my husband's a redhead. No. Oh, it's so funny. 
My ex is um, a ginger. Yeah. So it's all good. Um, no, I really, for really Will. do like this one. As for Will, Will's defiantly not a ginger at all. Uh, I love his cornrows. Oh, now I'm thinking about what he would look like with actual like hair because those cone those rows are tight and uh, like pretty long to the back. So that means if he ever took them out, he'd have like gale level hair. Oh, yeah. I love men with long I, hair. So, you know, Will's black, clearly. And I think it's actually a really nice choice to make him black when the typical trope that you would use to describe Will in a nutshell is the white knight. Mm -hmm. Because that's what he is. But it's not white as in your skin color. It's white as in like the morality scale. But you know, there's a lot of overlap between like, black representation and like the use of black and dark and things like that as evil and bad. So I mean, there is a little complication with Mizora, but he's not bad in any way, even with Mizora. So I think that's a good use there. He's like one of the only diverse characters also in Baldur's Gate. Like we still need more like for your main core companions that are human, I should say. Yeah. Um, so also, I think that there's a couple of little parts that we didn't touch on so much here. Um, what happens if you decide to hook up with Mizora? Yeah, I forgot to mention that you can have sex with Mizora and... Uh, you can talk about what happens with Will if you've romanced him. Oh, okay. Yeah, he hates it. Absolutely despises it and is very not good. But if you play as Will as your character instead of a Tav, you can romance Mazura as Will. And there's like she has specialty dialogue to him about how like the first time that she saw him she knew she would eventually get more than just her claws into him and it was just like this very like oh wow and then will in that scene is truly enjoying himself and i'm like hmm that brings a very different light to that I hope he was enjoying himself because it doesn't really sound like an even playing field, you know, with him and Mazora. I think when we if do he... our final wrap up episode for the season, we'll talk about the little one nighters, you know, because I need to talk about the twins. I need to talk about yeah, Mazora. I, I need to talk about the. As you should. Um. Okay, so. I had written out some notes <laughs> of my final thoughts for Will. My first one was like which we kind of touched on a little bit, but so his persona as the blade of frontiers, when you first meet him, this is like his cornerstone of will just hit and his struggle to just get by as a person in this world. He created his persona blade of frontiers, but it set him up for failure because he had this image of a perfect hero made out of tropes that maybe separately are attainable, but altogether is striving for perfection that just does not exist. He's not able to get there. And his idea of what makes a hero comes from his rigid father, who honestly, for the love of all the gods, his dad is a piece of shit, Grand Duke. I said it, okay? Like, how does he not know Gortash in his city is running all this shit, 
under his nose and he's just like, oh, good, do good for the city, blah, blah, blah. And like all the shit's going down. There's a whole ass cult of ball right under his feet. And he probably knows. Did he do anything about it? No. Did they do something about it? Yeah. Orin is the one who shoves the tadpole into his brain. And that serves him right. Will didn't deserve a tadpole, but Duke Ravengard did. But anyway, back to Will. <laughs> I'm just getting so mad at his dad. Like, he's so hard on Will. If you were going to be like that exacting and and withholding affection, why did you have a kid? You know? Okay. Well, one, when your spouse dies in childbirth, you don't expect to be a single parent raising a child. But the, for the, that, the whole point of the... Raven Guard had left Baldur's Gate with the constable lady. I can't remember her name right now. Who were out there yeah. collecting forces to go back Counselor and Floric. Right. So with Floric, they were going out there to recruit people to fight against Gortash with the Flaming Fist and do like an uprising with them. So he left in order to recruit people and then he got kidnapped and taken away. So I don't think that. Like, okay. he was trying to do something. I'll give him that. He still got kidnapped. But, <laughs> but, um. <laughs> so did everybody. Every, the know. whole story starts with I'm everybody just, getting kidnapped. I am never going to forgive him because it's like literally for 17 years, no one in that city knew he had a son. Like, what the fuck? What was Flork he doing? Did. What was Will Flork doing? recognized as well. Yeah, the other upper echelon people, but like your average citizen, you're telling me your highest level politician, you don't know like that they have a kid even, even though he's like been out. I don't know. Like, it just seems weird that he wouldn't just be out and about. But anyway, like my whole point about that was just that Will is actually probably the youngest companion out of everyone chronologically because he was banished when he was 17 and I think I remember him saying that was seven years ago when mm. so he and everyone else is like they have a vague age unless you're like Helson and they have a specified age that they were given or a star in where we could like read his his tombstone. And he said he's been a vampire for 20 or 200 years, whatever. So I think Will is like among the youngest in your companions besides Carlac, both him and Carlac are the youngest and maybe Lazel. But like Will for me is like it doesn't matter that his dad was a single dad because his dad was a dad of means and he still didn't like bother to find someone to give him some affection but also like he's still a dad and i know he had like the city to run but the whole point of his backstory being like his dad rising up the ranks he wasn't always as responsible for the entirety of the city and his son still never felt like the love he's still living up to his thing and like his he literally had to go break him out of prison and maybe sell his entire soul forever just for his dad to finally be like, wow, you actually are cool. I didn't realize like that whole conversation really bothered me because he deserves a little bit of, of attention. But because of that, because of growing up without attention from his dad enough, you know, he was uniquely susceptible to failing at being his persona because his trauma responses are like a desire for power to have security, his volatility and anger and his quick decision. Like, Oh yep. It's just me self-sacrificing me. Like I'm not important. So my soul is a worthy sum to get the power to save all these other people. Um, and being a hero wouldn't be a disappointment to his dad. It would fix everything. He would be good and smart and skilled and everything he isn't, but wants to be. But 
by becoming that persona and therefore failing at it because no one can be that perfect hero. He's perpetuating that feeling of inadequacy that he grew up with and imposing the impossible standards onto himself rather than his dad doing it for him when he was growing up. So like, he's just creating his own vicious cycle. Yeah. And then he kind of becomes codependent on a good aligned romance player. You kind of only can romance him if you're good aligned because he'll die or leave you. But he'll word it a lot of like, oh, you and I will become heroes. Like he always talks about what what you guys are going to accomplish together and these grandiose designs he has for your plans. And even just the simple fact of like, it's very hard to get him to leave you or break up with you aside from if his dad dies. If you become a lithid, he'll stay with you. If you send him down to Avernus by himself, he'll stay with you. Like if he becomes Blade of Avernus, or Duke of Baldur's Gate, he'll stay with you. Like, it, it's very impossible once you're in a relationship with him. Like, it's almost impossible to get that to end, like, prompt him to end it, other than his dad dying. So, I wanted to finish my thoughts with, like, he is a good, simple, good character, like, good aligned, simple character. Others like him are Caden from Mass Effect, Karth from KOTOR, Knights of the Old Republic, Alistair from Dragon Age Origins. And I found this quote from an article in PC Gamer by Ted Litchfield that I loved. He said, These brave men have a critical mission. They are the sturdy white bread on which the spicy Italian deli meats of the rest of your party must lay because they're so stable and basic. A lot of people label them boring, but they provide an essential service. You got to have balance with your party. Will is that balance. Otherwise, everyone would be wild he's the only like normal one you know like his traumas are normal traumas aside from the devil pact those are all people i have romanced <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh. i have romanced alistair but no one else no one else and i won't be romancing will because i have a problem with broken boys so yeah I have a problem with being slutty and romancing everybody. <laughs> Will fits this playthrough. He fits this role play, this this run. So it's him. Yeah. I think it's wrong for people to hate him and think he's a bad character or a bad companion or that he's stupid or something. No. I've heard, I saw a lot of hate on Will doing research for this episode. And I think that's wrong. He is like, in reality, most people would be lucky if they were like Will in real life. Like, you don't, you were telling me you would rather be tormented and abused for years or something, or like be brainwashed in a cult or like targeted and and groomed as a child. Like, those are the backgrounds you'd prefer over just having a normal ass life and maybe not enough attention from your dad. Like, most of us would be a Will if we lived in this world, you know? Or yeah. be lucky if we could be well. So Yuri, thank you, Yuri Cat, for finding this online. She found the ages of the companion. Astarian is about 350. Gale is somewhere between 30 and 35. Carlac between 28 and 32. Lazelle is about 22. Shadowheart around 48, which I don't think is right. I think Shadowheart's a little bit older than that. And Will's approximately 24. So... I see all those ages flowing 
pretty well together. And I do think that Lazelle being around 22 is also valid. She does feel very young to me. But then Astral Plane is also very different. She has not always been on Faerun, so her age is uh, quite variable. Thank you for that info. If I were to pick, I don't think that Will is going to become a canon romance of mine. But he's definitely a romance that I am enjoying and I'm going to have fun with. Um, he, but Starion, hands down, canon for me. He's my lover till the end of time. With side chick Halson. I have to. Oh, I never, I never pick Halson. We'll talk about it next week, why I don't pick Halson. Okay. All right. Speaking of next week, let's wrap it up here. If you like what you are hearing, please be sure to leave a review on iTunes or on Spotify and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You can now find me on the Cyberpunk Lorecast with my co-host Toasty, where we explore the foundations of the past, the state of Night City today, and the news of the future for all things cyberpunk. Check out Scyther Audio's newest fan-made production, The Avengers, the audio drama, where you can hear me and several of our podcasting friends. And you can reach me in our Two Girls, One Ship channel on the Robots Radio Discord. Come give us a follow on all the social medias and on patreon.com slash twogirlsoneship. Our theme music was comprised by the ever-talented Pipeman Studios, and our artwork was designed by the esteemed Let's Not. Links are in the description. I am also on the Robots Radio Discord and on our own Two Girls, One Ship Discord server where we nerd out on all our favorite CGI significant others, like Will and Astarian, <laughs> lately. Um, be sure to check out our live streams on Twitch on Fridays at 10.30pm Eastern Time, 7.30pm Pacific Time. Our podcast episodes, of course, release on Mondays because you need at least one good thing on a Monday. So thanks for listening, and remember... Beauty is in the eye of the controller. Welcome to Three Count Thoughts. Let me introduce the crew real quick. Hi, I'm Maverick Stone. I'm Romer. And I'm Jaxus. Join us as we talk all things wrestling. Each week, we'll take a topic from the wrestling world, knock it around a bit, and then go over the week in wrestling from a strictly fan perspective. We can be found on all major podcast catchers. We can also be found at Three Count Thoughts on both YouTube and Twitter. Or you can send us an email using 3CountThoughts at gmail.com. Okay, are you ready? Ring the bell.